Today's episode is sponsored by ChrisTaylorRacing.com. Welcome to Driven to Compete, where we interview badass, high-performing individuals to learn more about their competitive spirit and share their stories as a form of inspiration for our community. I'm here with Chris Taylor from Chris Taylor Racing. Chris is also the guy that helped get me into racing a couple years ago. Uh, I race on Chris's team, and um, I'm, we're here in Road Atlanta. There's an SCCA um, Super Tour event here, and <clears throat> it's one of the most popular places that folks like to come for the SCCA races. I decided to come down to interview racers and um, People like Chris, who's been in the business for a really long time, to kind of little, learn a little bit more about you know their competitive spirit, what's kept them going, how they started, the ups and the downs, because there's definitely ups, there's definitely mm-hmm. downs. And uh, so I want Chris to share a little bit about his experience and like how he got started, and we'll kind of dive into some of the stories. So uh, Chris, thanks for thanks for being here. Oh And uh, yeah, it, it's. Uh, this is probably my my favorite interview because you know we've spent a, a lot of time talking. Right. But um, maybe for all the other people that don't know you, um, one, I want you to talk about your business, what you do, and and then two, let's maybe talk a little bit about how you got started in all this. Yeah. So the business is just essentially a race prep shop. So we work on people's cars, we work on our own cars, rent cars out, um, and in that in. Includes everything. I mean, suspension setup from from that to tires to paint and body work, just anything to do with with race cars. And then, you know, you get you get all these race cars going. You got to do something with them. So then we come to races. We haul the cars to the races, coach during the weekend, support the cars, then go home, work on them again. It's kind of like Groundhog Day. Uh, that's like the last probably three or four years. Just feels like Groundhog Day. There's always a car at the body shop. There's always some trophies, and we just keep doing it over and over again. And you're located in Austin, across the street from Coda. Yeah, which so, is pretty cool. Right. So we've been there. Uh, my dad and I bought the property in 2003. They announced Coda in I think 2009, 2010, and then the first F1 race was 2012. And before that, it was my godfather's shop, and they did essentially the same thing, but with Formula cars, all you know, again, all types. Like we work on all types of sedan cars, B spec, spec Miatas, GT4 cars, and they did Formula Vs, Formula Fords, Formula Continentals, Formula Atlantics, and um, so to get back to what what you said, how I got into it. That's how I got into it. You know, my godfather did that. My dad raced in the '60s. My mom was one of the first female stewards. There's a bunch of them right here behind us. Um, so she and, and a friend of hers were like the first, if not female stewards in SCCA, for certain the first female stewards in the Southwest Division. So, you know, I grew up going to racetracks. I mean, I think, I think the first race I went to after I was born was, uh, I was six months old or something like that. So, you know, been, been getting in trouble in racetracks and, and hanging out at racetracks since I was a kid. 
Um, started racing quarter midgets when I was eight, which was kind of a weird type of racing to get started in for somebody that was around road racing so much because it was all oh hey, what's up hey that's okay we can um um i'll come get you because we already started i think yeah, timing fine. was just like right on top of each other okay. so i can come get you yeah that's fine about an hour or so yeah okay cool <clears throat> i thought he would <laughs> good old johnny yeah so i texted him but go yeah. ahead so so yeah so i started racing at quarter midgets which is all ovals um where most road racers get started in go-karts, but my mom didn't want me using my, you know, forehead as a roll cage, so I did quarter midgets, which was, was fun. Um, you know, they're, as much as they're different, they're kind of the same, so quarter midgets, you've got shocks and springs, and you can make chassis adjustments, and I mean, I remember racing those when I was probably 10, 12 years old, and we'd clear out the trailer, and we had a little 15-foot box trailer, Empty the box trailer out, level it, right, with floor jacks in the in a, in a grass paddock in a parking lot somewhere, and put four bathroom scales down, and we were corner waiting these cars, you know. And at the time, everybody's like, "What are y'all doing?" You know, don't worry about that. And now you go to these quarter midget races. There was one at Coda um, a couple years ago, and everybody's there in stackers and toters and you know big rigs and stuff like that. And back then, it was like we were. We were kind of middle of the road with our little 15-foot box trailer, but there were guys that would throw them in the back of a pickup truck, come race on a Saturday night. Uh, but it was, you know, a gooseneck trailer was real fancy back then. So, you know, we'd do that. Um, they, the quarter were only like Saturday night races. We'd have four big races a year in San Antonio, Austin, Oklahoma, and Topeka. So the most I ever did was maybe three because I might do – Austin, San Antonio, one year we did Oklahoma, one year we did Topeka, but like like I say, growing up doing that, that was always on holiday weekends. All the races were on holiday weekends because it was always a family affair. So we had to make a choice of go to the SCCA race, hang out, or go race quarter midgets because it was a Memorial Day, July 4th weekend, all that. And, you know, there's still a Memorial Day SCCA race in Texas. It's not as nice as it used to be. It used to be at TWS. Now it's at MSR Houston, but um, so that was that was just you know what what we did, how I got started. So when I was eighteen, you know, did about a year and a half of college and didn't really like school. I was pretty over it. So my dad was retired, um, and so I'd done a high my high school graduation project. You had to do something basically something constructive to graduate, you know, the last, basically you got a month off from school, so a lot of kids did, you know, charity work, stuff like that, I built a race car, and so we did that kind of in our driveway at our Terrytown in Austin, you know, Old West Austin house, and at my godfather's shop, because he had welder and a bunch of tools and stuff like that, so did that, and my godfather was selling, you know, trying to sell his property, and I told my dad, like, let's let's do this. There's no prep shops in town. Nobody's doing this kind of stuff. Like, you know, we've been around race cars a long time. Like, let's fill this this niche. So we did, and, you know, it's one of those timing things, right? So we start doing that, and about six months later, Dell starts cashing out all their old-time employees. So now there's all these Dell and next thing you know, there's six prep shops in Austin, and they've all got 
18 wheelers and million dollar equipment and stuff like that. So we struggled through that, you know, kind of finding where we could make money. And so what we ended up doing was, was pretty much specializing in the Spec RX-7s, which is what my dad had started racing, and then buying and parting out Miatas. So we go to the salvage auction, buy a Miata for 500 bucks. And one of the places in town was one of the big engine builders at the time, and they do the engines, trainees, diffs. So if I got a car and it had a good motor, had a good tranny, you know, five-speed manual transmission and a diff, I'd throw the short block in the trunk of my 93 Miata, put the top down, set the tranny in the top, throw the diff in the passenger seat, drive over to ART, and there'd be a $1,000 check, you know, so pay for that car and got 500 bucks in my pocket. And we were pretty good about what my dad said was, you know, like the pig farmer selling everything but the squeal. Um, I could sell quarter panels off the car if it was a straight chassis um, that just, you know, maybe the wreck took out the bumper and the fenders. We could strip it down. I could sell the bare chassis to somebody because they didn't call it wreck Miata for nothing. And uh, and then just from that, you know, we'd find, I found a dude in New York. I could send a crate full of <clears throat> interior parts because all the carpet and plastic and stuff was rotted up there. So, you know, I mean, I think we probably bought 20, 30 cars over the years in you know, probably the stuff that I had left a few years ago when I cleaned it out was just junk, basically, you know, because all the good stuff had gotten sold. And uh, and so then from that, we started, you know, Spec Miata started. We worked on a few of those, but it was never really our, our thing. But I had a buddy that, that had one, kept it with us. We hauled it to the track. I'd coach him um, and just sort of built up from there. And then, um, you know, 2009, they started talking about bringing F1 to Austin and it was uh, a guy that I'd known forever. I'd uh, sat down with him when I was probably 12 or 13 years old. And he taught me a lot about sports marketing because he was racing Formula 3 in Europe at the time. This was 92, 93, maybe 95, somewhere in there. And uh, then he basically gave up the dream of being an F1 driver because at that point he was too old. You know, he was 30, something like that. And came back and started racing NASCAR. And his dad had been a promoter forever so he promoted the first I think it was first NASCAR and asphalt midget races in Texas at a place called Thunder Hill which is right around the corner from Harris Hill our kind of local club track so his name was Tavo Hillman and it was about 2009 they start talking about bringing F1 to Austin and it's Tavo leading the way and they had a couple of spots that they were looking at and you know they were kind of trying to to keep people guessing because they didn't they still needed to buy property they didn't want the, the disney phenomenon where everybody wants a million dollars for an acre so they finished their thing you know finished their buying up and uh announced the location and it was you know i was telling everybody oh it's gonna be it's gonna be out here you know because they wanted somewhere close to the airport close to a major highway you know somewhere where they can kind of bring the value of the whole area up and i was telling everybody it's gonna be in elroy texas and oh no 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 it's gonna be here, it's going to be there. Like, nope, it's going to be in Elroy. And uh, sure enough, they, I think it was like a Thursday in 2010, announced where it was, and it was right across the street. So that was pretty cool because we, you know, we put up signs, you know, Taylor, at the time it was Taylor Rotorsports welcomes at Formula One. So we, me and my dad would get interviewed by news crews all the time because, you know, of course we had a race shop. So there was some race cars sitting out front and they're all running around looking for stories. So that was pretty fun. And then once the track opened and they started doing track days, then, you know, the, the rental business that 
back then was, you know, I might, I might rent two cars for a driver's school. We'd have one driver's school a year, and then I might rent another couple of cars throughout the year to guys that need to do one race to keep their license. You know, so you're talking a, a banner year back then as I might have four or five rentals to we've got this F1 track across the street and I'm renting everything I can every month basically and so that was a big a big deal for us and, and a big deal for racing in Austin because I bet you half of my customers now wouldn't be doing anything if there wasn't an F1 track because they wouldn't it wasn't on the radar you know mm-hmm. there's no there's no American F1 race there's no American F1 anything so nobody cared. Well, now we've got this track. We've got this race that's one of the most popular and highest attended races on the calendar that they have. And so it's just a major deal for us. And then there's tons of other businesses too. You know, petrol lounge that stores cars. <coughs> all of these, you know, racing or car adjacent businesses that are just blowing up. I mean, it's it's great for the local car economy for sure. So there's something going on at your property, isn't there? Yeah, so you know, so so kind of backtracking a little bit when they announced that, um, you know, I told my dad and, and a bunch of buddies, you know, friends, stuff like that, like, man, we need to build like garage condos or you know shops or something out here because this is gonna be big, and and everybody's like, oh yeah, that's a great idea, you should do that. And it's like I don't I don't have that kind of money, you know, and uh, so I you know talked to people here and there and and. Had some people that were really excited, and you know, how much money do you think it's going to cost? And I'm like, ah, probably two or three million. And oh man, that's a lot of money, you know. And uh, so a, a friend through racing, you know, basically we've known we've known of each other for a decade or more. Um, he grew up around racing, actually in Atlanta. Moved to Texas, and we met. Uh, met. We ran into each other at Road America. Um, at the runoffs in 2020 and up there they've got some garage condos real nice looking but they're they're down the road a little bit you know mile or two uh, towards Elkhart Lake where you know like here at Road Atlanta there's there's a, a condo project literally on on site you know MSR Houston Crest and all those they've got stuff that's on site most places don't don't have anything like that just down the road so they drove by that, went to this little bar uh, right when you get into town, and we happened to walk in to that bar as Tim and, and a buddy of his are talking about, you know, man, somebody should do this by Coda. And they see me walk in, and they're like, let's go ask him why, you know, what, what he would know if anybody's doing anything like that. So he comes over, and and we start talking, and, and he said, why hadn't anybody done that anything by Coda? And I said, because nobody's brought me any money. And so we started talking, and, and they literally came, you know, runoffs is a 10-day, you know, fuck around, basically, but 10-day deal, so everybody gets home the week after, you know, I think I probably got home Tuesday, something like that, after driving 1,400 miles home, and if, if I got home Tuesday, they were there Thursday, you know, looking at the place and talking and kind of sharing ideas, and I'd say with, we had a handshake deal that day. Within a, within a couple of weeks, Tim had, you know, rudimentary but architectural drawings of the, of the thing and started working on permitting and, and hiring everybody. So it's been two years, right? So that was 2020. <coughs> we are 2023, 
and two years and we broke ground a week ago yesterday so I remember when I was just thinking about getting started and I remember my first conversation with you and I thought that you were at your shop but then there was another conversation with you where you said yeah I'm I'm driving home from the from the runoffs right now, and I, you know, I was like, "Where from?" And you said Wisconsin. So yeah. I'm wondering if that was the same time. It would have been, yeah, yeah. If I, if it was the runoffs, and I was coming back from Wisconsin, <coughs> then that would have been that trip. Yeah, so I that would specifically be... remember because I was thinking, "Wow, Wisconsin, yeah, what the hell's up there." That was, yeah, that's got to be right because then you went, uh, you went to driver school like a month later. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that would have been that trip. Wow, that was a good trip. I, I'm glad we're going back to, to <laughs> yeah. Wisconsin then. If, if all my trips to Wisconsin are like that. yeah. <laughs> So, so you, the guys started working on plans, hiring people. It's been a two-year process. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Don't don't try to build anything in Austin. No. <laughs> even and you're not even in Austin no, proper. Right, right. It's it just, would be even harder. Oh yeah. It's it it would. So, I, I there's another buddy from racing actually. So so the red fit that's racing here this weekend was his car, and they're building a store boat storage storage unit kind of complex. Same deal out in the ETJ. They're barely. I think. So we're five miles from the county border. I think they're a mile from the county border. And same thing, it took them two years to get permitting done. They just started, you know, putting stuff up. Mm. And they and they started maybe maybe three months before we did. So a little bit they're a little bit smaller footprint project, right? So they're they're putting up buildings, pouring concrete. They'll be ready to go here in a few months where where we're broke ground. Um, equipment should be coming in in the next month and then it'll probably be start to finish construction will probably be about two years two three years but it's 150 ish units um, and and uh, it'll it'll be awesome I mean it's sitting there Saturday at this groundbreaking and you know and it's just there's so much history on this property which which actually Tim even mentioned that it, it helped us in this process um, but sitting back there, you know, we've got this tent up, and food truck, little bar, you know, about 60 people, um, everything from the banker, the architect, um, you know, buyers, people that are going to be there. And we're sitting in the back where we rally crossed 10 years ago. You know, there's race car, old race cars, wrecked race cars sitting behind us. Um, and this, you know, this whole thing finally, like at this point, it's, there's been times where it's like, well, you know, if this doesn't work, this this isn't gonna happen, and and we're at the point now where it's there's so much money and everything is so far along that, that this thing is this thing's taking off like it's going, and it's gonna be awesome. To, so what is it gonna to be see. like? I mean, for people that don't even know what a car condo is. And... Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, being around this industry, it's you know you say that and I think everybody gets an idea of, of immediately of what it looks like. So. I guess the the closest thing I can think of would just be kind of like a bunch of townhouses, essentially. Um, you know, if you go into a like a apartment complex or whatever, and there's just kind of rows of buildings, um, that's essentially what it's going to be like. But instead of you know two or three stories of, of apartments, it's going to be uh, twenty foot of, of basically just a garage with a mezzanine in the back. So you know you'll buy them, um, and you can do pretty much whatever you want inside you know finish out wise so um but it's uh i forget the number of buildings 
but it's you know 140 to 160 units total so you know you'll come in the driveway and and my property's kind of kind of funny shaped so it's narrow in the front you come back about a thousand fifteen hundred feet and then it, it opens up so 17 acres total so you'll come down that main driveway and there'll be like a little clubhouse um and then that main driveway will continue all the way to the back and they'll just be to the right and the left just rows of of, of buildings about 20 feet tall um and you know tim tim's a it guy you know i'm a racer neither one of us are developers and you know the research and the the time that he's put into this finding stuff, you know, and, and working on budgets, right? And he's like, well, you know, like in this room, there's there's 10 electrical sockets. And you think about that, okay, so in this unit, in your apartment, your condo, whatever, how many light sockets there are, and they're $4 a piece or whatever, and then you multiply that by 160. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to get an upgraded socket, like with the little USB thing in it, that's another buck. He's like, oh, yeah, another buck, sure, let's do that. Well, multiply that times 10 times 160, and now that's a $16,000 upgrade, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how this like whole project's kind of escalated. But, you know, for, for Tim, it's it's a passion project like like it is for me. And so it's like there's some of those things that's like, no, we're just we're going to do that because that's the right thing, right? We want this to be nice. Like it's not going to be too she-she, you mm-hmm. know, but it's like, for the kind of money and for what it is, like, you know, it's going to be glass fronted garage doors, um, frosted glass windows. The doors are going to be gigantic. I think they're 30 something inches wide with these big backlit handles. And, you know, it's it just this, the, the time and effort that Tim's put into this is unreal. So every door is going to have a keypad that's, you know, connected to your phone. So if you've got a condo or you've got a unit there and you've got a track day coming up with your you know, BMW M4, your GT3 RS, Porsche, you can call me. You can say, here's the code. Go fetch my car, put new tires and brake pads on it. I can go up and you know, punch the numbers in. It's going to start the cameras, open the door. I can take the car out and close the door, get the car ready. And, you know, depending on how you've set the code up, I can go back, type that code in again, put the car away, and now that code's not, not good anymore, right? But your car is serviced, ready to go, detailed, whatever you want. <coughs> and so just stuff like that that, you know, it's not not a, an insignificant amount of work and thought that's been put into, I mean, literally everything in this unit. So it's going to be big for us and then I think just for the, for the community as a whole. You know, having that across the street from the track. Because that's one of the things, other than this $600 million F1 track, there's been no development out there other than, you know, spec houses, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I think, I know we are, and I think a lot of other people are hoping this kind of gets the ball rolling on on turning some of this scrubby land out there into into big-time projects. So it's... Um... You know, you're, you're bit, so you're going to have a, a huge shop out there, too, yeah. that, that can just take care of anybody and everybody that are, that are staying there, or anybody else for that matter, just right. like you do now. Right, right. Um, and it's going to be just right on site. Yeah. And yeah. it's going to be top-notch service, like you said, just being able to prep things for people, and it's just right. going to be an, an unbelievable amount of convenience for them. Yeah. Um, now, that is 
That is that under Chris Taylor Racing Services, the shop, the garages. No, so that's the the project's called Garages of the Americas. Garages of the Americas. So I, I think the for sure Garages of the Americas dot com. I think it's garagesota.com also. Oh, okay, I see. Um, but there's tons of info on there. Uh, the first so first phase is about fifty or sixty units, and that's all. There was two left at our groundbreaking, and there was. Uh, a buddy of mine was there, and he was working hard on getting one of them. So there may only be one. There may be none left now. Okay. Uh, but they're going to start taking deposits, I think, because, you know, one of the things they did was when they announced it, they, they said, put your name on the list. We're not taking deposits yet, you know, because I don't want to take your money and have it tied up in, in escrow for, at this point, two years. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're going to start taking deposits. So there may be some free up where people are just like, okay, now that it's time to, to, to nut up and put money on the table, like, I'm not... Yeah. Not able to or whatever. So there may be a few open up here and there, but, you know, price points. So as we started this, then Coda themselves announced a similar project. Um, and so, you know, it's a little more convenient, right? It's on site, but it's also fairly restrictive, too. So there's no 24-hour access. You can't sleep in your unit at the track. Where ours, you can sleep there. There's a limit. You know, you don't want anybody to live in there. So it's four nights, maybe somewhere in there that mm-hmm. you know that's all kind of still getting ironed out. But um, you know you'll have twenty-four hour access, um, and so similar size footprint on each. You know ours are around three hundred thousand, and theirs are like seven fifty. <laughs> okay. So more than you double. know, and then where they are on on their you know if you try to compare like distance wise, it's about the same distance to the yeah. paddock. You know. You're staying on property there where, for us, you've got to kind of, you know, hang a left, come down a quarter of a mile, hang a right, go into the track. But, yeah. you know, I've driven enough GT4 cars, and, and we've had our B-Spec parade every year at Code SCCA that, you know, the sheriffs haven't given us too much problem. So, hoping that that sticks yeah. going forward. But, you know, that's why I've kind of, kind of started angling and, and acquiring equipment for that. Um, so, we'll have... Uh, for certain, like a, a Coda taxi. So guys that have like a radical um, or, you know, full-on race car that doesn't, doesn't want to go on the street, mm-hmm. uh, we'll be able to take that, you know, across the street to the track or or if they want to go to, to Harris Hill, get coaching or, you know, go to an SCCA race with us. Yeah. We'll be able to do that too. Awesome. So, well, um, so talk about the what kind of cars do you have right now that you do rent out to folks? Yeah, so we've got uh, B-Specs, which has kind of been our stock and trade the last few years. And then in the last couple months, I bought two Spec Miatas to rent. Um, So I've got three Mazda 2 B-Spec cars and two 1999, you know, which is kind of the the second best year to have uh, Spec Miatas that we're going to rent out. And then we support, like I said, everything from from B-Spec cars. I think there's... Ooh, 10 or 12 at the shop right now. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, everything from that, uh, we've got the Aston Martin GT4 and the Janetta GT4 that we take care of. And, um, you know, all the guys that, that work for me and help me out, you know, a lot of them have, have gone on to other things. And then, you know, they still come back, help at Coda, and they're all doing um, Ferrari Challenge, uh, GT3 Acura program, stuff like that. So... So definitely a lot of, of experience um, under our roof and, you know, and more, more every day. So 
we'll have to we'll have to expand the uh, the personnel a little bit once we once we get the new shop going and all that all that customer base. So, uh, but I've got you know a couple couple friends that are in the industry that are working other places that that want to come you know come back to Austin, um, come help me out. You know, one was was hoping that we would get our stuff going sooner because he wanted to come work for me and he ended up uh, going to uh, uh, IMSA team and they actually won the Daytona 24 hours this oh, year. Oh wow, so, alright. So I'm hoping, hoping we can get, <clears throat> Jeff, get Jeff back. And, uh, that'll be fun because he's just, uh, like Jeff is, is like all my guys, just super experienced, uh, super laid back, you know, and that's, that's the whole thing with, with racing is I just don't, I, I don't just work for anybody, you know, it's got to be the right kind of person, you know, because I want to, I want to get along with you, I want to go have a beer, you know, we always go, go to dinner together, um, go to lunch together, so it's important to have, have a good group of people around, it's, it's as much family as they are a, a client, um, and, you know, and that's what makes this stuff fun, is, you know, it's not fun to come to the race and be like, oh, this, this asshole, yeah, you know, especially not under your own tent, yeah, right? that, that's, like, um, it's enough, it's enough to tolerate them when they're up the hill over there, but, but, uh, you know, having a having just a good group of people around us is just what it's all about. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's been really great for me. I didn't know what to expect. I mean, we're all racing, even we're on the same team, we're racing against each other. Right. But after every single session, we're all getting around our, you know, our Garmin devices right. or the video. <laughs> And we're trying to help each other get a little faster here or there. And, of right. course, giving each other a little bit of shit because we really do want to beat each other. Right. But oh, yeah. we're all trying to help each other because as a team, it'd be fantastic to just be, Absolutely. you know, one, two, three or something like that. Right. So, right. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's just been very helpful because me being new, you know, just two years into this, I feel like I've gotten so much help and... Um, and, and you know, been through, I don't know, there's a lot of things that's happened for me, and I, I don't know, I feel like it's a lot of things that happened <laughs> to me in two years. I, I don't, you know, I don't know, have you, have you gotten to drive a car upside down yet? Uh, not upside down, <laughs> I've driven one into a wall, actually, right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah um, last year, right? Yeah, so, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, like I say, it's, it's, it's been, it's been pretty crazy, it's like Groundhog Day, you know, because there's, there's always one at the body shop, uh, you know, it's always the last minute for Ash to get ready to go to the track, and then you know, then when we get here, there's usually a trophy. So, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Last year here was not not very kind to us. Yeah, I, I missed that one, but probably good that I didn't miss it. It would have been another sad story. Yeah. So, um, what else do you do? I mean, you you keep busy with all the time. I know you know tons of people in the racing industry, but you you kind of dabble in or help out with other aspects of training outside of SCCA? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the last two years I was working for Skip Barber. Um, they started a Honda touring car racing program. 
So skateboarders have been around for uh, 60 years probably. Um, it's been through a couple owners. The new owners have had it since 2017. And, you know, they're, they're cranking drivers out. You know, that's what their, their business is, is making champions and winners. And so they saw, you know, the, the sheer numbers of people that they're giving race licenses to and race experience to. And, and there's not, you know, there's no idea where to go from there. And so they started a, a professional level race team with uh, Honda Civic SIs and Type R's and SRO. And, you know, so this opportunity came up to, to help them a little bit. Uh, you know, originally it was, they had just bought the cars, they were testing at Coda. They'd bought a bunch of equipment and, you know, post-COVID, nothing was getting delivered. So they, uh, somebody had referred them to me and they needed to borrow some, some setup equipment. So, you know, yeah, no problem. And, and, you know, then it was, it was kind of a, you know, they found the local guy, where do we get this? Where do we get that? Do you know this? Do you know that? And then, you know, but within two, three days, what are you, what are you doing a weekend after next? Do you want to come to Sonoma and, and work on a Honda? Sure, I guess. Yeah. And so when we started, it was, it was, I can do, I think it was Sonoma and Coda were the first two races. I was like, I can do that. And I'm, I'm too busy. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't need, I don't need another full-time job. And we went to Sonoma and we won the first race, uh, finished, I think fourth, the second race with no spring in the right rear. Cause we got basically punted on the first lap and I want, I, I'm fairly certain after that weekend we were leading the championship. So it was like. I guess I got to do the whole season now. <laughs> and so we did Coda struggle a little bit there, but uh, won a bunch more races that year. Ended up winning the championship with my driver. And so that 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 year ended, you know, was very successful. Um, that driver went on to a different project and I had an opportunity to go actually down a class because I was in a TC class, go down to TCA and work with uh, another one of their lead instructors. Carter Fartuck, and so same deal, go to Sonoma, win the first race, like, all right, I know how this story goes, and, you know, so we struggled a little bit with with politics and things like that, ended up, I think, second in the championship, Um, but won a bunch of races we weren't supposed to, podiumed a lot of times that we were definitely not supposed to, and, and, you know, just another, another successful year, the team won the I think it was a TC TC drivers championship, TC teams championship with another you know kind of semi customer driver, and then um, you know second and can't remember. We, I guess I don't think we won manufacturers championship at TCA, but you know a couple of nice big trophies at the end of the year. So that was cool. And then they're now expanding their GT4 Supras, and I think they've got four um, you know clients racing the TC cars this year, which is which is big, right? So mm-hmm. the first two years, it was, it was kind of instructors doing the driving um, just to kind of get the name out there. And, and you know, you got you to gotta win to, to bring in money. So they did that, and now it's, you know, tons of customers, and, and I'm sure much, much success this year for them. Um, but, you know, at this point, partially because of that, right, because, you know, showing that I can do something other than work on clean lady cars, mm. we're getting more business in. 
Um, so it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, this year is time to focus on, on our stuff. Yeah. Um, and I still help them out a lot. Um, and so we're supposed to go from here to VIR because we've got two races in Virginia. And I was actually going to park at their shop, which is what we did at the at the runoffs. So at Indy, you know, they, the SCCA stuck us in the grass, in the mud. So last year for VIR, I said, I'm not paying this astronomical amount of money to, to park in a mud pit when Skip Barber's got this nice, you know, heated and cooled shop and shower, bathroom, internet. So they were uh, they were kind enough to let us take up some of the shops. So they had a big screen TV. We're watching the races <laughs> on there. It was, well, it was about like this, rainy and nasty. Yeah. And we're high and dry and... So, you know, that's been, that's been great um, for all involved, I think. Um, so still, still helping them out. You know, they called up a couple weeks ago and needed some nitrogen at Coda. So carried some nitrogen bottles over there. And, uh, you know, so it's just, that's been a great, great relationship. And, uh, but, but like I say, this year we're going to focus on, on my guys and SCCA and, yeah. and try to add some NASA um, locally. There's a new new owner for NASA, and they're they're really easy to work with. Um, they really want to see B Spec come join yeah. join them, and you know for me it's it's a way to add some more weekends in because um, they've also worked really hard. You know before it was like even for Spec Me Out, it's like okay, you got these two series you can run in. Well, you really can't because they schedule all their races on top of each other. Yeah. So so they worked really hard this year to kind of kind of offset those where you can you can do both. So we were gonna try to do one race coming up, but I think I think now that conflicts with our our Virginia stuff. But mm-hmm. We'll uh, <coughs> we'll make we'll make something happen because it's it's a good their their format is really good for beginners, right? Because you can do um, they have HPD the same weekend, so you can do HPD to get more track time. And I think most of their most of their HPD you can have like a right seat. So the cool thing about that is you can throw an instructor in the car with you or a coach, whoever, do an HPD session, hopefully learn a lot, and then go run out to the race and, and just get better and better. And then you know, they do fun stuff like crawfish boils and, and uh cookouts at night and they go to Howlett and they've got a slip and slide down the hill so they're you know, there's a keg at the top and the bottom maybe. Um, and so they, you know, they like to have a good time, which is what I'm all about. So, uh, that'll be cool if we can kind of, kind of get, get that relationship going and just expand the number of races that we can do locally every year. Uh, cause it's, you know, it is a little bit easier for, for people to, to drive yeah. and not, not have to travel, not have to pay. Right. Cause if I'm driving out here, we're, we're paying a lot of money for travel. Yep. So that'll be, that'll be fun. But um, Did, are you also um, occasionally interacting with some of the NASCAR group? Yeah, yeah. <coughs> um, so they since they added Coda, and you know it was two or three last two years, I think they've had a ton of road races. So so they've put much more emphasis on road racing. Where like in the '90s, you know Richard Petty hated road racing, so he would just sit it out, and they'd put somebody else in the car. And with the points format and Rules changes, payouts, all that, and then and then when they had seven or eight road races, like you had to learn how to road race. So um, I think it was two before the first NASCAR race. We had 
Daniel Suarez, um, oh man, I can't even remember, a bunch of Chevy guys, uh, uh, Zane Smith that just won the truck championship last year, Sheldon Creed who won the truck championship the year before and is now racing Xfinity, and then, I don't I can't remember how many other kids, um, we took two B-Specs and a NC Miata out there, and they had a blast, uh, you know, Suarez, you know, in Mexico, it's kind of like Europe where they're used to little Econo box race cars. And, and he grew up racing Volkswagen bugs. So, you know, he, he's like, these are cool. I like this. And, you know, they're out there bump drafting. There's a couple donuts on the cars after, you know, they're having a blast with just two of them out there. And then kind of kind of from that and then just other referrals, started working with a couple other guys. Um, and last year... Coached and spotted uh, a guy that I call my buddy now, um, Spencer Boyd. He races a NASCAR Craftsman truck. And hopefully this year do spotting for him and for Preston Partis. So he's he's supposed to message me back. But Preston's a spec me out of guy, you know, grew up racing SCCA stuff. He's won two or three championships now and then has been doing Xfinity, uh, which is one step down from Cup for the last two or three years. So that'll be cool. It's it's a whole other like just a whole another experience going up there and, and and spotting for those races and you know if you if you watch even if you're just a casual NASCAR viewer, you know, and you listen to like the Daytona and Talladega and you can they do a radio with the spotter mm-hmm. talking to them. You know, and you think like they're just rambling like that it's nonsensical. To actually be on the radio and listen like those guys it's no wonder they get paid what they do because they are good at it, right? And I'm doing the same thing weekend after weekend talking to guys, but it's like they're, you know, I, if I'm lucky, I'm doing that 12 times a year, right, where these guys are doing it 40, so they're going to get good. Mm-hmm. But just the, the information and, like, essentially coaching that they give these guys is just incredible. Um, so the <clears throat> his Spencer's main spotter last year was... Frank Kimmel, whose dad has, I think, I think he won the most championships in ASA in history or something like that. So, you know, learned a lot just kind of listening to him and, and helping Spencer because the, you know, for a guy that does nothing but ovals, the technique going from oval racing to road racing is night and day. So, you know, it's kind of funny. Like we've, we've done some of the same thing in, in your racing too mm-hmm. is, is learning that technique. So he, he does five, ten laps. He's like, the brakes are gone, the brakes are gone. Well, the brakes are gone because your your technique is bad. And we talked about this, you know. <laughs> and it can't say that on the radio. So it's like, okay, remember what we said about the brakes, right? And uh, so he does another, you know, five or ten lap run. Like, oh, brakes are fine now. Yeah. Okay. And he had a real good run going for him. Um, I think he was 18th. Got dumped on the last lap by another guy. Who's who's a road, you know should be a road road race guy, and uh, ended up twenty first or something like that. So, but then he had a couple of good runs in in other road races last year. I think he had a another at least top twenty, maybe top fifteen at like Mid Ohio, you know, which is a real tight, um, not overly technical, but definitely like if you're doing good at Mid Ohio, you're you're doing good. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully get to do some more work with him. Um, and then, you know, had a bunch of interest from, from other guys, but of course they're all the, the higher level, like Xfinity guys, you know, it's like, oh, I've got this lovely B-spec, like, ah, I, I want to be on it because that's what Preston Partis drives. Yeah. So I got to thank Preston for that. 
Um, and that's good. That's part of the reason why we bought the yeah. the other two spec Miatas is just to kind of feed that feed that niche a little bit. So, but it's all you know. It's fun. It's just a different. It's a different world. You know those guys. Those guys like having fun, but when it's time to be serious and, and time to get it done, they're they are professionals. Mm-hmm. So it's it's been it's been interesting, kind of just learning a little bit about that world. Because <clears throat> I grew up, you know, I grew up watching NASCAR, and being a NASCAR fan. Um, so you know, getting that behind the scenes look is is pretty cool. Um, so I'm interested to know, like maybe one or two of your stories, either like what what's been like probably your best win, and like the most agonizing kind of loss that yeah. you've had. I, I don't know. So best win, you know, like when when we started talking about this whole show, right, and talking about you know the winning winning spirit, winning mindset. Yeah. The thing for me is I, you know, when I was racing quarter mitts, we would win a lot. When I started road racing, racing RX-7s, I didn't, I didn't win so much. And, you know, it's kind of, it was kind of for me where, you know, growing up around SCCA and growing up around the, the, the people that I did, you know, we had, I mean, my godfather's son won the runoffs here, actually, in Formula Ford. Won a national championship in Formula Ford. But they rented cars, you know, and a lot of their guys, it's just, it's kind of like what we say, we're just, just happy to be here, you know. And so, so my racing was kind of that. I was always just one of the guys that was just happy to be there. And, you know, so I, it's, it's difficult. It was difficult for me when I started racing again in B-Spec to get to where, you know, I'm not just happy to be here. I'm, I'm here to win. And, and then actually to win, right? So my first win was in a Mazda, my Mazda 2 at Buttonwillow. Should have won a Sebring in a Mini. But that didn't work out. So, um, you know, that, that first win was, was pretty sweet. Um, and then that year kind of kicked off a, a string of, you know, my best finishes ever. You know, won, I won two championships. I forget how many races we won, but, you know, set two, three track records, which I'd never had a track record in my life. So that was, that was pretty awesome. But I think probably... Like the two, my two favorite wins were St. Louis. Um, so that was 2020. So COVID messed up everything, and I I kind of decided I wanted to do a bunch of the super tours that year. Well, COVID hits, and so they added a they added a super tour at Gateway, which. I'm kind of I'm kind of like Robles, you know. That's that's kind of my secret favorite track. I think because TWS was our home track growing up. It's a big oval, but a good a good roval. And you know, St. Louis isn't a great roval, but it's just it's high high speed, kind of high danger, um, similar to Homestead. And so I went up there, and a buddy of mine, Ryan Hall, who's a, a coach and, and pro driver, he was wanting to get qualified for the runoffs that year. So I was like, well, I got this Mazda. You know, I kind of bought the Mazda because Ford wasn't paying contingency. Mazda was. They're basically the same car. I'd been doing okay in the Ford, and I was like, let me get a Mazda and see what we can do. So I said, I'll let you drive my Ford, 
and I'll drive the Mazda, and we'll, you know, we'll kind of team up because it's a roll. You know, we need to draft and everything. And so we show up, and and I'd done 15 minutes of racing on iRacing to learn the track, watch some video, and we show up, and we're, you know, for sure top five. I think we were top three all weekend. And in a Saturday race, uh, you know, we teamed up and, and we're drafting and we ended up second and third. And then on Sunday, it was like, I forget, it was a start or restart or something. There was a bunch of, you know, big schmazzle happening. And we basically went to the front and nose to tail and just walked everybody. I mean, we put on a clinic. And it was actually Ryan in front and me in second the whole race. And, you know, that's the, kind of the funny thing about B-Spec is it's all, it's all track dependent. So the gearing there, the Ford, was was sort of between gears coming onto the straightaway. But with me pushing him, it wasn't so bad. And so we just did lap after lap after lap. And it was like, all right, this is going to be pretty cool. You know, Ryan's going to win and I'm going to finish second. You know, and I finished, I think I finished second the day before. So, you know, we get some Mazda money. It's going to be all right. And about two laps from the end, he just does a little bobble coming out of two and I pass him and you know at that point if I was in front he wouldn't get around me mm -hmm. and so we did you know last two laps won the race set a track record and uh so that was that was just that was pretty sweet it took a while to wipe the grin off my face yeah. for that one <clears throat> um, and then probably my second favorite would be probably Homestead this year oh okay um, just because you know, we ran well, how many, I'm trying to remember how many years we've been down there, I guess three now. So, you know, I've run well every time. Um, Kent won there two years ago with me kind of defending. And so then this year I got to win, you know, Kent won Saturday with, with me sort of defending, but I mean, he, he won that one on his own. And, but Sunday he was, he was defending the shit out of me. And so it was cool to kind of, you know, get him to pay me back right which i kind of had to remind him on the radio like you owe me one uh, <laughs> and uh but but to get that you know with a car that that doesn't have the handling doesn't have the brakes doesn't have the power of of the minis that dominate the class and and beat some right was pretty pretty sweet uh i mean they're all you know they're all great right yeah um but that was that's probably the top top two favorites and then, you know, for agonizing defeat, I don't know. There's probably too many to list. Yeah, it, it, there's, there's, I don't know. I mean, I, I look back at, you know, there's certain things that have happened in the last two years, but I don't, those don't come, I have to really think about those, right? right. So, like, you know, the obvious one for me is, you know, I got rear-ended and flipped at Coda, um, so that kind of ruined that weekend. And the, the, the year before that, <clears throat> I had two things. I don't know if they both happened there. I had hubs go out, so I couldn't finish mm. the race. And then uh, I don't know if it was there or Eagles Canyon. I, I basically had second gear go out. So the whole transmission had to be changed oh, yeah. between sessions. And I think I that think was that Dakota. Yeah, it was so Saturday. That, yeah, so I had <laughs> two things happened that year. Yeah. Um, so... You know, the, and I had the same issues with the shifting, I think, at Eagles Canyon. But um, but the one really cool memory I have, and it, it was, it was uh, looking back, it probably shouldn't have happened, but it was the last corner on the last lap of Homestead, 
and my first race ever. And I didn't even know it was the last lap. I wasn't even paying attention. And it, it, it was already had chained the white flag. Yeah. And uh, I passed this guy to take fifth place, which is the oh, last yeah. position for Mazda to pay out. Oh, yeah. I remember that. So, I mean... You won money your first race. Yes. And, and, and I remember you, you seemed, like, really excited. And I was like, well, I, I guess that's good, you yeah. know? And $50. now, <laughs> and now when I look back at it, I'm like, well, yeah, because it's for me be, being a beginner, right. um, I I can kind of tell how good I'm going to do based on how many people are in the field, you right. know, because right. I'm, <clears throat> I'm, I'm nowhere near the, the front right now, but uh, try to have a good, a good fight with whoever is nearest to me. So, right. um, but yeah, last year, last year was crazy here, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, all kinds of stuff happened. Yeah, yeah. So I can I think it was qual two. Uh, weather was a little a little colder, probably not as wet, but it had rained like all week. Mm-hmm. So you know, and we're with the broad cars, so there's qualifying. You know, any anytime you go out for qualifying, you've got you've got so many factors, and you're trying to get a fast lap in. So. Um, qual one, I don't remember if it was, I didn't, I didn't have a good lap time. I don't remember why now. Um, so qual two was, was shorter as 15 minutes, which, which here you get, you get a couple laps in 15 minutes, you know, a place like Road America, a 15 minute qual session is, is literally a out lap, a hot lap and that's it. Mm-hmm. So, but there's still a lot of pressure, you know, especially when we're with the prod cars because they're going to wall the track down. There's going to be fenders all over the track, you know, so you got to get a time in early. And so we go out, we get half a lap done, black flag all. Like, great. They couldn't even make it a lap. Come in the pits, and, you know, I'm looking. I've got driver monitor going and, and looking at the clock. And come, you know, we're coming in, coming to a stop. I don't even think we came to a stop, and they rolled us again. It's like, all right, cool. So we got the tires kind of warm on that out lap, so now we can get the tires warm again. So, and we'd seen the whole track. You know, so it had been kind of rainy, and so we got eyes on the whole track. So, all right, cool, track's, track's good. You know, it's dry, dry line. And so we come around, and, and everybody, you know, all the B-Spec guys are, it's like, you know, if you're if you're into horses, you know, they're all chomping at the bit. You know, they're sweating a little bit. And we do the whole lap, you know, come out of seven, don't have a ton of wheel spin. Like, okay, the tires are getting a little heat in them, you know, so this should be a pretty good lap come over the hill, 10A, 10B, 11, come down to 12, come over the hill, and everybody's just got a handful of wheel, and I can see the water, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the, to the right, to the inside, avoid the water puddle, I just got to check up a little bit for 12 to make 12, do that, as soon as I turn in, no grip, you know, didn't really, I kind of caught a little bit of the water, but it was just the fact that I had ruined my turn in an apex so much by avoiding the big puddle that everybody else is doing tank slappers in gathering it up and making the corner so i just do my tank slapper coming out of 12 onto the front street do about one or two left right left and these cars just end up with so much kinetic energy i mean that's kind of how you ended up on your lid you just end up with so much kinetic energy you can't can't save it and nose comes over to the wall Hits the tire wall, spins me around the other way. I mean, it's a yard sale. I I can. I mean, I remember 
you know, as, as I hit, everything slows down, and I can see the radiator and the intake flying across the track and do, like, another 720 in the grass. Thankfully, don't hit the wall again. And, you know, just sitting there kind of waiting, like, you know, this, this sucks. You know, because normally I, I, I've hit here before and other places, and, you know, you hit something, and you're like, well, maybe it's okay, you know. Car won't start. And, and after you see the radiator fly across the track, you're like, this one's... I don't think we're fixing this one today. So get out, look, you know, and they're throwing the garbage in the back of the truck. I see, you know, cork sport intake. I'm like, no, no, bring, bring me that back. It's $300. So put that in the car. I can fix it. And so that was, I guess, Saturday. That's probably Saturday morning. Yeah, Saturday morning. And so I'm done for the weekend. Um, and then the race, you know, Charlie was with us. And I can't remember who else we had. Kent and Andy Nelson, they were doing, you know, pretty good. But Charlie was, you know, I mean, that whole year Charlie was winning everything. He was untouchable. So race time comes. He's he's ahead of Riley. You know, got a good little gap. You know, they're they're kind of working together. You can't, you know, you can't tell these young kids nothing. So been telling Charlie for a year, you know, draft, draft, draft. But don't help him, you know. Let him help you. And going into five again with these prod cars, uh, Somebody oiled the entire track down, and I think I think Riley had gotten in front of Charlie, and coming into five, you can see him just hit oil, rear end steps around, he goes flying through the gravel trap, and then noses in the fence and does you know friggin' six barrel rolls, again yard sale right. There's springs flying everywhere, and get the car back get the car back and what I think happened was when he went flying it actually broke the um, steering arm off the knuckle because if you slow you know zoom in on the on the rear facing video zoom in and slow it down you can see him steering away from the wall but the car is kind of doing this teeter-totter thing and one wheel is obviously you know dead and I think that's what you know he's steering away from it that left front folded and dug in and that's what sent him into the barrier and, you know, of course, he's 17, 18 years old, gets out of the car. They're, they were indoor go-kart racing that night, like nothing happened. You know, and I'm kind of sore and, and not feeling too good, but trying to get his car where it'll go on the trailer because, like, it just started and ran, um, fixing some of the bent stuff and, and you know, working, working fast because it's freezing cold and I want to go to dinner and taking the, the suspension apart and the... Basically, I'd mostly undone the top of the shock, but not quite, and was pulling stuff loose and rotated the shock and basically undid the nut at the top. Well, the shock was bent, bottomed out with a 500-pound spring, you know, crushed down a good bit. So it comes shooting out and catches my finger. Damn near took my finger off, so ended up at the ER. Um, first, first broken bone I've ever had. Uh, mangled it up pretty good. Um, but I got the car, you know, got the car in the trailer, got my car in the trailer. Of course, everybody, everybody helped because I got one hand and made it home. And then that was about a three month ordeal, um, because the doctor wanted to, they wanted to have surgery to basically pin the bone. And it was like, well, I leave, I leave for essentially two weeks because we had Howlett and then Sonoma SRO back to back. And it was at the point where basically if I if I didn't do it that week and 
waited two weeks, it would be too healed to pin it. Mm. So then it just had to had to heal up on its own. So, you know, had no nail. Like it's all you know. Mostly looks like a finger now. Doesn't look too bad. <laughs> but, uh, not a good weekend. Yeah, that's that's a bad. Like I said, I'm glad I missed that one. Yeah. That was. Um, so let me ask you, we'll kind of wrap up a little bit here. And um, you've been in sort of a long time. You've helped a lot of people along the way, including me. Um, what's the best way for someone to get started? I mean, I would tell people that um, B-Spec is the most affordable form of, you know, like uh, road racing right. there is, I think. And yeah. it's um, surprisingly affordable. For, you know, I tell people, like, what you would pay for a whole season is, like, what it costs for a bumper on, you know, a Porsche or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. But um, let's say someone's just like, man, I've always wanted to try it. How, how, would, how would you suggest that they kind of get started in the whole thing? Yeah. So, I mean, if they're local or if they don't mind coming to Austin for a nice vacation, um, you know, a B-Spec or a Spec Miata down at, at Harris Hill Road um, is about the cheapest, you know, best way to do it because you get you know you get so much track time there um and it's it's a fun track it's fairly easy to learn so it's a great first step um and then i steer a lot of people to the b-spec just because if you're you know if you're not used to driving a manual or or i mean i've had people who've never driven a manual before so we're teaching them how to drive a manual on a racetrack okay um and the b-specs are a lot more forgiving you know it's front wheel drive cable oh, yeah. shift so, you know, it sucks to, to say, all right, here's my first time on track and learning how to drive a manual and now I'm buying a gearbox, you yeah. know. So, um, that's why I kind of always, you know, and, and especially when you're starting out, it really doesn't, it, it doesn't matter what you're driving as long as you're out there driving. Yeah. So, a B-Spec is great for that. And then, you know, like you said, for, for what it costs to go racing, I mean, you know, I think even, even to just rent a, or buy a box of parts, you know, spec Miata, you can rent and get coaching and do a, a half of a season at least in a B-spec. Um, and then if you, you know, if it's, if it's something you want to do, they're, they're still cheaper, you know. Yeah. Price is coming up a little bit, which is yeah. good, good for, good for me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, still, like that's the biggest thing, right? You can buy a spec Miata for, for 15 grand, but you're not, the only time you're seeing the front is on grid. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and to run up front, you've got to spend insane amounts of money on coaching and seed seed time and coaching, and then you know a car to run up front is going to be thirty, forty, fifty, seventy grand. Yeah. Where you so you've got a huge delta to get on track and to win. Where B spec, it's like the delta to get on track and win is within a, a couple thousand bucks. Yeah. Um, and so that's. That's why I, that's kind of the way to go, I think, for somebody just just starting out. Um, but then, like I say, here at Sale, you know, it's it's affordable to go out there for a half day or a whole day. Um, I can coach you, or you can bring a coach, or or you know, if you've got a little bit experience and you just want to go drive, you know, that's <clears throat> hard to beat for that. You know, it's about a thousand bucks for a day for a car. Yeah. So somebody's brand new, they they would reach out to you, Chris Taylor Racing. ChrisTaylorRacing.com if they wanted to email you. No, it's just uh, ChrisTaylorRacing at gmail.com. ChrisTaylorRacing at gmail.com. Yep. So, I want to thank you for listening or watching Drive to Compete. It's been a pleasure sharing this episode, and I hope that we've provided some inspiration and entertainment along the way. I absolutely love hearing from you, and I promise 
I'll personally respond to every comment, every question, and every request. If you want to connect, start with our website, driventocompete.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter. Whether you reach out or not, please like, subscribe, and share. Until next time, go kick some ass.